you, Brother Steve. It's an honor for me to be with you folks again. Uh, I think about so many of the churches that have, in view of all this COVID madness, have shut down or completely cut back, and um, it's just kind of sad that the Lord's work has suffered the way it has through all of this. But I I know he's my brother-in-law, and he's also, in a sense, the one that God used to lead me to saving faith in Christ. But I'm just amazed at uh, Pastor Bill. For over 40 years now, hasn't he been your pastor here? 45. Started out down there in the old Galbraith Chapel on the campus at Ohio University and has faithfully been preaching the Word for all of these decades to you folks. And uh, he's been a faithful servant of God. You know, I had a fellow that came and took uh, the pastorate there at Faith Baptist where I served for 29 years. And um, he was there for a month shy of five years, and he left. And one of the things that was cited by way of uh, his resigning the pastorate there was that it was just so hard to get a message ready for Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, week after week after week. And he had less than five years, and it was all he could take. And your pastor Bill's been doing that for 45 years. And you throw in some Sunday school classes and some funerals along the way and weddings. And it gets to be something that I honestly have to say I don't think a person can do in their own strength. Uh, you know, without me, you can do nothing, Jesus said. And... Um, Paul said, our sufficiency is of the Lord. And so he's been doing it for a long time, but the Lord's been strengthening him for the task as well. Your handout today is entitled, Eight Biblical New Year's Resolutions. And I want to say a few things about New Year's resolutions before I get started on this message. One is, the Scriptures say back in... Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 5, It is better that thou shouldest not vow than that thou shouldest vow and not pay. I think it's wrong to make vows, promises of what you're going to do, and then you fall short on it. So um, I'd say, uh, rather than saying these are um, resolutions, I am going to do this, Maybe we ought to say, with God's help, these are the goals that I'm going to strive for in this coming year. It's interesting that in 2007, they did a study on New Year's resolutions. And they had 3,000 people in this study who made New Year's resolutions, and uh, six months after January 1, they went back and they uh, 
question these people about how well they were doing on the promises that they had made. And it became apparent in this study that 88% of those who made resolutions had failed to keep even one of them. We all say we're going to do something, and then it seems like uh, we fall short. It's kind of that old thing, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We, we say we're going to do things, but we really uh, don't follow through the way that we should. I uh, gave you these eight biblical New Year's resolutions, and it's interesting that I see all of these found in the Scriptures. In fact, you have Bibles before you, and I gave, gave you some of the references, and you're a smart group here. You could probably help me fill these in before I ever gave you the names on them, so we... We might ask you what you think the first one is here in just a moment. But um, I just think that it's interesting that some of these parallel so exactly with what people in a secular, worldly sense say they're going to do in the coming year. And uh, from a biblical standpoint, I hope and pray that we can implement these practices into our lives and maybe hopefully you're already doing that in your lives uh, before we even discuss these today so you've had a chance to kind of look at these a little bit Uh, number one of these eight biblical new year's resolutions uh, with that reference there in hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1 What do you think the blank is that we're to fill in? Lose some weight. Lose some weight. Um, I know a fellow that said uh, one year for a New Year's resolution, uh, he was going to lose 15 pounds that year. Came to the next year, New Year's Day, and Somebody said, I remember you made that uh, resolution to lose 15 pounds last year. How are you doing on that? And he says, I've only got 20 to go. <laughs> Isn't that the way it works? You, you say you're going to lose some and you might lose a few pounds and then give it a few weeks and you've got uh, 10 more pounds put on besides what you lost. That's, that's the way it seems to work. But in the scriptural sense, it says this in Hebrews chapter 12, And verse 1, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Lay aside every weight. You know, there's some weights that are good. Um, I just had new tires put on Nancy's car last week. And you know, when they took the old tires off, one of the things they did is they had all these balancing weights that were hammered on the rim. And they took all of those off, all the old ones, they took them off and discarded them. 
They put that new tire on the rim. They put it on that thing that spins. And it told them exactly where they needed a weight on that rim, inside and out, to make that tire run true without thumping or whatever. And so uh, weights are good if you're talking about balancing a tire. I know the church where I pastored for 29 years, Faith Baptist, it had a notorious problem for years with flat roofs that leaked. And we'd have these people come in and they would give us prices on putting down a new rubber roof over that to keep it from leaking. And one of the things they would usually do is they would suggest that they put down stones on top of the rubber roof. And you say, what on earth is that for? They call it ballast. And ballast was on there to help uh, to keep that rubber membrane from being flapped up with the wind, the suction of the wind. So they'd put those rocks on there, ballast, to keep that uh, roof in place in high winds. There's a case where weights were a good thing. I think about ships. Boats have anchors. That's a weight that's a good thing. But there are some things that are not good weights. Things that drag you down spiritually. I know years ago, when I was in high school, I used to love to play basketball. And we'd always be working on trying to dunk the ball. And uh, we had ankle weights that we would put on. Some of you may remember this. Others probably think, what on earth is he talking about? Before the game would start, we'd put those ankle weights on. And we'd run around and we'd jump and we'd do all the maneuvers we could with those weights on. And then when the time came for the actual game, we'd take those off and you felt like you were light as a feather. You felt like you could really jump. And uh, so uh, those were weights that were helpful for a time. But when the actual competition came, you need to take those off. Now, when he says here, he's talking about running a race. And he's saying, laying aside the weights. In an ancient uh, Greek uh, society... You know, they used to have races, and I I hate to put it so bluntly, but a lot of times they'd run naked because they didn't want any weight to slow them down. And so uh, the idea of getting rid of any things that hinders you in the race is something that was a part of society back in those days. And when you think about the race that we are in, the Christian life, the race that we are running. You know, the Apostle Paul talked about, I have finished my course. He finished his race. Uh, whether you realize it or not, you're in a race. And we're supposed to be running so that we may obtain. It says, I'll read this to you in 1 Corinthians chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 24. It says, Know ye not that they who run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight, fight I not as one that beateth the air, but I keep my body 
under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Run that you may obtain. Run that you may excel. In the book of Philippians, I'm sorry, Colossians, in the book of Colossians chapter 3, verse 8, it says this, But now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication, out of your mouth lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man. We're supposed to put away some things in this Christian life. And I, I don't know what may be hindering you, what may be slowing your, you down in your efforts to serve the Lord. But I believe if we pray about it and ask God to reveal that to us, His Spirit will make known to us the things that we need to discard in this life that we might be more effective in His service. So I'd say that's the very first um, resolution there. To lose some weight. To lose some weight. I... Know that my big hang up, my big hindrance in losing weight is I've got a sweet tooth. And since I've become diabetic and I have to watch my A1C, I need to be real careful about the sweets. And sometimes I just get in kind of a bad mood because I want a donut or something. <laughs> just to be honest with you. Somebody reminded me though that, you know, the word stressed, stressed, is desserts spelled backwards. <laughs> so you need to kind of realize that uh, these things have consequences. And um, if you want to put yourself under stress about losing weight, just uh, indulge in the desserts. They, they kind of are correlated there. The second one that I want us to see here is that we're to get more, anybody? Exercise. Get more exercise. If you turn to the book of 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8. For bodily exercise profiteth little. But godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. That verse in my King James doesn't, I guess, truly reflect what that verse is saying. You may, some of you, have a different translation, and I think this is the way this really reads in the Greek. For bodily exercise profiteth a little, a little bit. There's value in bodily exercise. Nothing wrong with, uh, you know, getting in some time in the gym, uh, maybe going on a walk every day, maybe jogging if your knees will allow you to do that. There's nothing wrong with bodily exercise. God gave us bodies and he wants us to do our best to, to keep them in shape. So this, the idea of this is bodily exercise profiteth 
a little bit. But godliness is profitable unto all things. Having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. Godliness will be profitable in this life. And godliness will be profitable in eternity. And so we need to make that a priority. Just like you get up. I, I, this is not me, but it may be you. Maybe you get up in the morning and you do some sit-ups. Or uh, you uh, do some leg lifts. Or maybe you get up and have a cup of coffee and a piece of toast and you go on a walk for a mile every morning. People do that. I'm not one of them. I see those uh, stickers in the back window of the car, you know, 13.6 or whatever, or uh, 20, What you know the marathon signs in the back of windows. 13.1, I think, is a half marathon, and 26.2 is a full marathon. I see those guys that have those stickers in the back window of their cars as a 0.0. I don't run. <laughs> That's me. That's me. I did a lot of it when I was at Ohio University. I was uh, uh, came to Ohio University in 1965, graduated in 69 and uh, with a degree in education, and I had a track scholarship. I came here as a, I was a pole vaulter, and they made me run, and I didn't like to run at all. But uh, it's, there's nothing wrong with getting some exercise, and uh, we should do that. But the thing we ought to focus on is strengthening our spirit, strengthening our spiritual walk, not just our bodies. I've got several verses there, and I thought this was kind of an interesting one. Jeremiah chapter 9, and uh, the reason I put this verse in here is I wanted to explain something to you. I'm trying to get you to exercise spiritually. But this verse reminds me that God exercises every day. Have you thought about that? It says, I love this verse, I'll start in verse 23 of Jeremiah chapter 9. Thus saith the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might, let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him glory, him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord who exerciseth loving kindness, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. I've preached a message on that verse sometimes. We're not to be glorying in our mind. Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. We're not to be glorying in our mind. We're not to be glorying in our muscle. Uh, let the neither let the mighty man glory in his might. We're not to be glorying in our money. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. Don't glory in your mind, in your muscle, in your money. Glory in your Maker. That's what this verse is right there. But let him that glorieth glory in this. That he understandeth and knoweth me. That's that's what we ought to glory in our relationship with God. But 
It's interesting here that I am the Lord that exerciseth loving kindness. How often do you think God does that? Every day. Don't you think? Every day he exercises loving kindness and justice and righteousness in the earth. So God uh, exercises every day in terms of his mercy and loving kindness toward us. I also have a verse in here in the book of Acts, chapter 24. And it's a reminder that Paul exercised. Acts chapter 24 and verse 16. And in this do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward man. Paul exercised himself in that Always. It tells me in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 11 that if we do not exercise ourselves in terms of godliness, I think God will exercise us. How does He do that? It says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, of which all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have fathers of our flesh, who corrected us, and we gave them reverence, shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit. That's the reason God chastens us. Uh, Gives us some spanking, spiritually speaking. For our profit that we might be partakers of His holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterwards it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them who are exercised by it. God's going to exercise us in terms of chastisement, if we're not doing what we ought to be doing. We should lose some weight. We should get more exercise. We should read more. We should read more. Let me just read a couple of familiar passages to you. You know this one so well, Psalm 1. My mom made me memorize this psalm when I was a little boy, and I remembered it to this day. It says in verse 1 and 2 of Psalm 1, Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. This book. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. It's not just reading, it's meditating. You know, occasionally in the Psalms you run across a word that's 
is Selah, Selah. And people wonder what that means. When I was pastoring a little country church, in fact, I'm still, for the last 10 months, I've been preaching there every Sunday morning and teaching there every Wednesday night, Mercerville Baptist Church down in the southern part of Gallia County, where I started out before I went to faith. And they, they're without a pastor, and I've been preaching every Sunday and teaching every Wednesday night down there for months. Uh, but I, I had a fellow in that church, and he's still coming. His name is Jack Clagg. And first time I came across that teaching in a Wednesday night Bible study, that word Selah, I was trying to explain what it meant. Jack raised his hands and he said, it means chew on that a while. (laughs) And I've always remembered that because I thought in his simple country way, he captured perfectly the meaning of that word. Stop and chew on that a while. And that, that's exactly what that meant. Well, we're not just to read, we're to meditate upon God's Word. And when we don't read in His Word the way we should, we're going to get into trouble. You know, I have here Psalm 119, you know this one, and verse 11. Thy word have I hidden in mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. One of the reasons we get into so much trouble in our lives is because we don't hide His Word in our heart. And we don't walk by His Word. And we get off into worldly things that drag us down. I I think about these other verses I have there. This this is an interesting one. 2 Timothy This is a verse that so many people have memorized, but it's kind of an interesting statement here. It says, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse uh, 15, it says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing, The word of truth. I had an outline beside this verse. that goes like this. Um, These three questions ought to be asked whenever we're studying the word of God. Is, Is the word well taught? Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. Is the word well taught? Is the work well done? A workman that needed, needeth not to be ashamed. Is the word well taught? Is the work well done? Is the Lord well pleased? Study to show thyself approved unto God. He's the one that we're supposed to be uh, seeking to please in our study of this great book. Now, I think about um, a couple of passages that come to mind. In the book of Matthew, the book of Matthew, chapter 12, turn there with me. I, I want to point a bunch of verses out here to you. Matthew, chapter 12.
need to read more. I know a guy that uh, made a vow to read read more as one of his New Year's resolutions. And he knew he didn't like to pick up a book and read, so here's the way he kept his New Year's resolution. He, he turned on the subtitle closed captioning on his TV. <laughs> he was reading more. Not anything really of any value, but he was reading more, right? Well, we need to be reading God's Word. And in chapter 12 of Matthew, and verse 3, I want to point out this to you. <clears throat> and he, he said unto them, Have ye not read... See, they'd been criticizing him. The Pharisees criticized uh, Jesus and his disciples because when they walked through the grain fields on the Sabbath day, they'd pluck the heads off of the ears of corn, uh, not ears of corn, the the, uh, oats or the wheat. They'd pluck the heads off of them and they'd rub them together in their hands so the husk, the holes came off, and then they would eat the kernel. I've done that myself. Probably most of you have at one time or another. And they were criticized for doing that on the harvest day. Uh, the Pharisees considered that harvesting. Uh, so uh, Jesus says to them, verse 3, Have ye not read what David did when he was hungry, and they that were with him, how he entered into the house of God and did eat the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, neither for them who were with him, but only for the priest. So, the question there, to these men who were religious men, uh, Pharisees, you know, they spent a large portion of their life trying to memorize the Word of God. But he says to them, have ye not read? Have ye not read? And then he says it again in verse 5. Or have ye not read in the law how that on the Sabbath days the priest in the temple profaned the Sabbath?" And are blameless. I think about this goes on in chapter 19 of uh, Matthew and verse 4. And he answered and said unto them, Have ye not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Have ye not read chapter 21 and verse 16? And said unto him, Hearest thou what these say? And Jesus said unto them, Yea, have ye never read out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise? Chapter 22 and verse 31. But as touching the resurrection of the dead, have ye not read that which was spoken unto you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Over and over again, the question was, have ye not read? And they were missing out on truth. They were missing out on God's will because they they skimmed, but they hadn't really read, meditated, chewed upon, studied, thought about what God had said. We need to be doing that every day. 
You know, for years, uh, most of us, I think, have been aware of the ministry started by Dr. M.R. DeHaan, Radio Bible Class, Our Daily Bread Ministry, where those daily devotional guides. We need to every day be spending time in the Word of God. If, if you could do nothing of all this list uh, here today, if in the coming year you'd spend more time in the Bible, God would bless you for that. I tell you, this is not a way of bragging. <laughs> Think about this fellow that was kind of uh, not too handsome and pretty socially inept. And he was bragging to a friend. He said, I want you to know that I have a date for New Year's Eve. And they looked at him and they said, you do? And he said, yes, December 31st. <laughs> that is a date for New Year's Eve. Um, well, I, I think about the fact that if you could do nothing, uh, talking about bragging here, I'm not bragging, but you know, about uh, five years ago, I kind of made a personal goal that I was going to try to spend um, every day uh, to read or listen to the reading of five chapters of the Word of God. And I've stayed with that. I think in five years I've missed that twice and the next day I've read ten to stay up with it. But I, I every day try to make time to be in five chapters of the Word of God. And I'll tell you, some of those uh, chapters in the Old Testament that are names and names and names, and uh, I think about one name I, I got stuck in my mind, and I think this has got all the vowels in it. Elio Enoi. Elio Enoi. I can't even pronounce it, but that's one of, the, one of the guy's names, and you keep coming across it back there. And I think... I. I really can't wade through those. So I've got an app on my iPad that reads it to you. And I put on my ear pods and I play five chapters of that and it reads it. And I let somebody else wade through all those names that I can't pronounce. But if it gets into normal text, I shut that off and I read it on my own because I think I retain it better that way. But God has blessed me. We're spending time every day in five chapters of the Word. And I go, I just start in Genesis and I go straight through and I'm done in about nine and a half months and I start all over again. I go back to Genesis and start all over again. God will bless you if you read more, spend more time in His Word. Number four there is pay your debts. Pay your debts. I heard about a businessman who was always kind of inept and struggling uh, with debt. Came time that he died. He had left instructions for how his funeral was to be conducted. And he named six pallbearers who were to carry him at the funeral service to his grave. And um, these were all men that he owed money to. And she said when, uh, his wife said to him when he was 
giving her these instructions. Why do you want them? And he said, well, they've carried me all my life. They just as well finish the job. You know, uh, they, he'd been leaning on them with uh, financial indebtedness all of his life. But we have some debts that need to be paid. I think about how that in Romans chapter 1, it says this. Paul says in verse 14, I am debtor, both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. I am debtor. He realized that because we have the message of salvation, we have the remedy, the tried and true proven remedy for salvation. We have an obligation to share that message with those who have not yet heard. We are debtors. We have a moral and spiritual obligation to share that. So we need to pay our debts. I think about how that in Romans chapter 13, it says in, in verse 8, Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. I don't think that that means that we couldn't have a mortgage on our house. I hope it doesn't mean that. Uh, oh, no man, anything. It's, it's not that you can't borrow money on a car or a house or whatever. But if you have uh, made arrangements to pay a monthly mortgage or a monthly car payment, you need to be faithful to those. God expects you to pay those debts, but he also expects you to pay the spiritual and moral debts that we have uh, in terms of sharing the good news of the gospel with others. Um, all of us have fallen short of that, I'm sure. You know, <clears throat> I've often thought about this whole thing about... Um, New York City, they put an awful lot of time and effort and money into that New Year's Eve celebration in Times Square. But quite frankly, I think it's overrated because as far as I can tell, every year they just drop the ball. And uh, when I think about that, when I think about that, when it comes to paying our debts, in other words, sharing the good news of the gospel with those who have not heard, uh, we're pretty prone to dropping the ball. We don't do what we ought to in terms of sharing. I'm not browbeating you because I'm guilty too. But we all ought to do a better job. There's souls that are hanging in the balance. We need to pay our debts. We need to do our best to save some. To save some. I, I know the guy who said uh, his New Year's resolution was, I'm going to increase my bank account 
and decrease my waistline. And the end of the year came and he prayed and he said, Lord, help me not to get those two reversed like I did last year. The bank account went down and the waistline went up and that's not what he wanted. But we, we need to do our best to save some. Now, it's a good thing to put some money away and, and try to have a nest egg, so to speak, uh, something to tide us over on a rainy day, as they say. But what I'm talking about here is doing our best to be used of God because we know that none of us can save anybody in ourselves. But God wants us to be used to help save some. I think these are interesting verses. The book of Jude. The book of Jude. Uh, I think it's chapter 1 of Jude. <laughs> I, I think it's chapter 1 of Jude in verse 23. Uh, Jesus' half-brother, author of this book, says in verse 22... And of some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. I understand perfectly that you nor I can save anyone. But God's word says here, and others save. God wants us. To be used in helping to reach the lost. Right back there, a few chapter, a few pages before Jude, is the book of James. And in James chapter 5 and verse 20, it says this Let him know that he who converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide. A multitude of sins. We can be used to save some. We can't do it. Jesus said, without me ye can do nothing. But he wants to work through us. You know, in in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 22. Paul says this. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Paul was going to do whatever he could to reach people who were lost in trespasses and sins. It wasn't Paul that was going to save him. It's God that's going to save him. But God is going to use Paul. He said, I endure all things that they, uh, for the elect's sake that they may obtain the salvation which is uh, for them. Uh, God wants us to be used. You know, I've, I've told this story a lot of times about this flea that was riding on the back of an elephant that went across a suspension bridge and the bridge was bouncing and shaking as they went across. And when they got to the other side, the flea whispered in the ear of the elephant, 
Did you feel how we shook that bridge? That's kind of like us and God. We're in this together. And if there's any shaking that's going to happen, he's going to have to do it. But we're going to be a part of it. And that's what he plans. He plans that we be focused on trying to save some. Number six here. Spend some quality time with a good friend daily. Spend some quality time with a good friend daily. I think about back in the book of Exodus. I've got a bunch of verses here that you all know, but I'm just going to remind you of them. Exodus chapter 33, verse 11. And the Lord spoke unto Moses face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend. Moses is said to be a friend with God. Isn't that an amazing thing? Um, Moses is called God's friend. Second Chronicles, Second Chronicles, chapter twenty and verse seven. Get there eventually. I was in First Chronicles. Second Chronicles chapter twenty and verse seven says, Art not thou our God who didst drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel, and gavest it to the seed of Abraham, thy friend forever? It says in Isaiah forty one that Abraham was God's friend. Isaiah 41 and verse 8, But thou, Israel, art my servant, and Jacob, whom I have chosen, the seed of Abraham, my friend. Abraham was God's friend. Moses was God's friend. Isn't it interesting that in John 15, verse 13 and following, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends." For all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. I'll stop right there. God says that we are His friends. How much time do we spend with Him every day? I think of prayer. What a friend we have in Jesus. 
all our sins and griefs to bear. Oh, what privilege we forfeit. Uh, I've got the words of that song wrong, but what a friend we have in Jesus. And all because we do not uh, spend time in prayer. I've I've butchered the words of that song, but you, you know what song I'm talking about. And uh, we need to spend time with our friend daily. I think about how there's been all this isolation and quarantine and everything with uh, the COVID. Maybe you haven't been able to be with others as much as you'd like. But there is absolutely no reason why you can't spend time with your best friend every day. And, and we don't do it. That's, that's one of the great downfalls of, of the church. Number seven, prepare for your retirement. Prepare for your retirement. Matthew chapter six. And verse 19. Lay up for yourselves treasures upon, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven tells me in chapter 19 of Matthew and verse 21, the rich young ruler said, Jesus said to the rich young ruler, if thou wilt be perfect, go and sell what thou hast and give to the poor and thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 19. Lay up in store, lay, I'm going to start in verse 18. That, that they do good and that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to share, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. We need to be laying up treasure in heaven. I'm just about done here. Let me read one more. Chapter 3 of Revelation and verse 18. I counsel thee, the church of Laodicea, to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with salve, that thou mayest see. There's riches, and then there's the true riches, the eternal riches. The riches of this life you'll not take with you. It's certain we brought nothing into this world, and certain we can carry nothing out. But we can take some things with us. We can take our labors for the Lord. Um, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Their works do follow them, it says. And so uh, we need to be faithful in 
preparing for our retirement. And then finally, put your affairs in order. Those two passages I wrote, um, Isaiah 38 and verse 1 and 2 Kings chapter 20 and verse 1, both of those were to Hezekiah. And remember, uh, the prophet came and said to Hezekiah that God said, Set thine affairs in order, for thou shalt die. And then Hezekiah prayed and God extended his life by 15 years. What a tragedy that was because uh, three years into that 15 years, he had a son that was born uh, that uh, was a wicked, wicked ruler, reversed everything his dad had done. What was his name? Anybody remember? Manasseh. Manasseh. I couldn't think of that. Yeah. But anyhow, Hezekiah's son that was born during that 15 years was a terrible, wicked man. And uh, so it's kind of a shame that he was so insistent he needed to have his life prolonged. Uh, We need to just be at peace to let God have his own time in all of these things. His way is best. But we're to set our affairs in order. And so those two passages there, Hezekiah was told to set his affairs in order. Amos chapter 4 and verse 12 says, Prepare to meet thy God. We don't know when it's going to be. Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 1 says, We know not what the morrow may hold. Don't have any idea what's ahead for us. So we need to kind of think about those Uh, resolutions, things that we're going to aim for in the coming year. Now, I think about getting exercise and losing weight. A lot of people realize they can't do it on their own. They'll join Weight Watchers where you have peer pressure to help you to um, make some progress on those things that you wouldn't uh, do on your own. Uh, Weight Watchers, or you might join a gym and uh, you might have the um, maybe even a personal trainer that you'd hire to help you. Uh, someone to stand with you and help you get done what you know you need to do. You ever thought the Holy Spirit's like that? He, he's the paraclete. He's the one, that word means one called alongside to help. He's not alongside, He's within. And He's there to help us on every one of these things, which I'm sure are a part of God's will for each of our lives. So in the coming year, I hope and pray that we'd take these things to heart and say, God, enable me, help me to make some progress on these things. I'm going to close with this thought. I had opportunity a few years ago to take a church history tour through Europe. Italy, Switzerland, Germany, France, England. We were all over 19 days. I went to all kinds of interesting places. I I went to Calvin's church in Geneva. I I went to um, the um, uh, Spurgeon's Tabernacle, uh, Metropolitan Tabernacle in London. I, I could go on. I went, we went to lots of interesting places. But one of the things I remember 
was I saw in Venice, Italy, and in Stuttgart, France, and a couple other places, these really elaborate medieval clocks that they made for town squares. And they did some amazing things, and uh, I, I won't go into all that right now. But the story is told about a man who was called in. He was an expert in repairing antique clocks. He was called in to repair a clock in one of those town squares. Hadn't been working. And he worked on it a long time. He said, I think I've got it fixed. So they waited until the hand came up to noon. And it struck one, two, three. And they thought it'll strike till 12. It struck 12. And then it struck 13. And he looked at the other people in town and he said, it's later than we think. (laughs) Folks, it's later than we think. I don't know when the Lord's coming. I can't believe this is 2022. When we hit Y2K, you know, the year 2000, I thought sure the Lord was going to come then. And it didn't happen. And I don't know what his timetable is. But it's gone on a lot longer than I thought it would. And uh, it could be this year. I do know this is later than we think. Now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. And so we ought to be doing what we can in light of eternity. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Let's serve Him well this coming year. Father, use this message to somehow inspire and encourage and help every one of us to be more this year of what we ought to be than we've ever been before. We know that your spirit will enable us, your word will strengthen us, your eye will guide us. We just pray, Father, that you help us to be effective and faithful and successful in our walk with Thee this year, that other souls might be saved, that Christ might be glorified, and Your church might prosper until the trumpet sounds and You call us to Yourself, for we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.